Thanks for downloading this podcast from RNIB Connect Radio. Claire Lawrence lost the majority of her sight while studying fine art at university. Despite this, Claire never allowed it to stop her pursuing her chosen career as an artist. Her incredible work is a tactile representation of the way she sees the world. Claire also recently took part in a BBC Three documentary called Things Not To Say, and she joins me now. Claire, thank you so much for joining us here on RNIB Connect Radio today. Thanks, well, thanks for having me. Well, listen, it's fascinating what we're going to be talking about today because you are a lady that has so many talents uh, and we'll come on to them a little bit later on. But um, we'll start off with how you actually lost the majority of your sight. You were diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa at the age of eight years old. Had you noticed a difference in your sight? Uh, well, it was, I mean, as a child, personally, not so much, but my parents obviously started picking up on things like I was, uh, you know, walking over a lot of my brother's Lego and breaking things and getting around in darkness seemed to be a bit of a problem. I think obviously with them having my brother who's two years older, who'd never, they, he didn't have any of these issues. It was kind of ringing bells to them saying, mm, this isn't right. So I just was taken to the opticians and then to the GP and then we went to the hospital and that's when my parents were given and I was given the bleak diagnosis at that point, uh, basically saying, by the time you're 20, you'll be blind. We all know from like, you know, hospitals, it was very much, well, there's nothing we can do. So bye. As a child, that must have been terrifying to hear that you will be blind by the age of 20. How Mm. did you cope with that and how did your parents cope? I think in some ways it was harder on my parents. I mean, they were both teachers, so they've, they've been utterly fantastic at making sure I was supported through mainstream education and all of that sort of stuff. But for me, I, all it gave me was a, a sense of urgency. Like as a child, I just thought, right, well, I need to get things done and I need to see things before I can't see them anymore, which I think is probably a theme that's carried on in my life even after the fact, well, I'm now 32, so I'm 12 years past their diagnosis. But it's just this sense of, well, I've got to get a job, I've got to achieve things, I've got to have a house, I've got to be better than everyone else because I've been given a time limit. It is like a bit of a ticking time bomb, isn't Mm. it? And I have to say, you know, from speaking to people over the years doing the job I do, uh, it's a very similar kind of attitude that a lot of people have had when they've been given that kind of diagnosis. My diagnosis wasn't, you know, so lengthy. I lost my sight in the space of two weeks, so I didn't have the time to Mm. get used to it. So being thrown in at the deep end, sometimes I feel was a little easier because you don't have time to watch things slip away gradually it's kind of there and you've got to deal with it instantly but that must have been quite frustrating especially with you being so artistic yeah well definitely and I come from a very creative family and I was always passionate and I remember when I was little telling a careers advisor that I wanted to make jewelry when I got older and they basically said no you can't do that you're you're going to be blind so think something else um, which I, I just took as a challenge, really, and thought, well, no, actually, there's always ways around things. But I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I always have that comparison of would you rather have just lost it or gradually lose it. I mean, I'm always, in a sense, state of loss. Every single week, year, day, I've lost, you know, it never gets better. All it does is get worse. But at the same time, I can still remember the things that I've seen, and I will always appreciate that. So, you know, I think everything has its plus and minuses. Definitely. I think, you know, what you're saying is, for me, quite 
sad, really. I don't mean sad in a a kind of patronising way, but I mean, you know, I'm trying to put myself in that kind of position. How would I cope with constantly waiting? And I think that's why, for me, it was, you know, easier to cope with just happening very quickly. But it's funny the questions people ask us, you know, Mm. what would you rather do? What would you rather be? What would you rather have happened? Would you rather be blind or deaf? And you just want to say none of it. Neither. (laughs) Whatever normal is, please. That would be great. Exactly. Well, listen, we're going to go on and talk about your art in just a second. But you have got a fantastic career at the moment. You're working with RNIB. You're a regional officer. What does that entail? Oh, yeah, regional campaigns officer. So, um, well, we don't chain ourselves to fences or anything like that. But I work within the wonderful campaigns team at RNIB. And I'm part of the regional arm. So I work with blind and partially sighted people throughout the East Midlands helping them to engage and achieve campaigns that are important to them, things like cars on pavement, bins on pavement, going to meet your MP, going and lobbying Parliament for welfare reform, just anything that might arise that is an issue for someone with sight loss. And then hopefully we enable them to have the tools to, in some cases, do it themselves and they become our volunteer campaign coordinators and they just go out there and start making changes for themselves, which is great. And you must be such an inspiration to them because, you know, with you having sight loss yourself, it makes it kind of more relevant in a way because you're talking straight from the heart. You're not talking as somebody that that doesn't know what it's like to be blind. So you're a great representative. Yeah, I think it does. It does add a lot of impact to the role. Um, Not saying, I mean, I think it's almost a 50-50 split in our team of people with sight loss and people who do not have sight loss. And I think we're all fantastic. But in those tricky situations when you're really trying to get a message across, having your own personal case study story to just put in there can really help to make people realise the issues that we're facing. So it can be quite useful. Very much so. And I agree with you. We need that kind of 50-50 balance, don't we? We need to have the, the blind colleagues and the sighted colleagues to really work together to make it work, I think. Oh, definitely. I mean, everyone... I, I hate the fact that some people in my life have assumed that I got the job at RNIB because of my sight loss. And it's not. It's because of my abilities and qualifications. Likewise with my sighted colleagues. And I always think, I think RNIB does a good job of picking the right people for the jobs. And, you know, people have different passions on different sides. And when we all work together, it just makes it brilliant. Very much so. Well, we've mentioned it a couple of times, your art. And I have to say, your art is absolutely incredible. Now, I know that you started to lose your sight quite rapidly while you were at art college, didn't you? Yeah, it was, I think my biggest drop was while I was at Reading University studying fine art. I mean, I'd made the decision to actually go to university to do art, despite everyone saying things around me like, why are you doing this? You're not going to be able to see. But I just thought, well, while I can see a bit, I'm going to go and do it. So I went and did it. But yeah, during that time, I think that's when I lost the ability to read writing on, you know, like your own handwriting on pieces of paper. Um, So making notes and things like that was out of the question. My whole idea about art changed I used to do very realistic paintings so then I had to kind of start thinking well to use a cliche thinking outside the box Uh, so I was thinking about more about my senses and the way I perceive things and trying to enable people with sight to perceive things in the same way I do so that's where all the tactile art and process painting came into play and it's so beautiful. I mean, I've had your art described to me. I don't have any sight at all, Claire, but I've had your sight described to me. Mm. And what you've done is, is really quite spectacular. Can you explain what you do tactile-wise with your art? 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a weird one. I, I like to work with um, the elements. So I've done work with freezing paint, uh, burning, and um, using things like sand and texture. So I try and keep it all very natural, but I also like to test myself. So one of the major pieces of work was my autosomal series, and that um, involved using a blowtorch. So I would burn holes in layers of canvas. Um, I would then wrap them around each other, stitch over the holes with this kind of intricate webbing, and then I would layer it all with varnish, and uh, the varnish would bead all over the webs, the, the holes throughout the canvas, and this was kind of my way of visualizing the deteriorating retina at the back of my eye, because from the photos that have been taken in the hospital and the way it's been described, it's all very kind of just like someone had burnt it to pieces, basically, and it was falling apart, and there was only very fine strands holding it all together to keep it stable. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that, and that's what triggered um, Lexus found that piece of work, and then they uh, commissioned me to do a small documentary using their car leather, which was <laughs> quite interesting. Well, do you know, I've seen this this little documentary, and I tell mm. you, it was fantastic and so incredibly interesting. It really was. But for our listeners that haven't seen it, describe what you were doing with the leather work, because it wasn't as as kind of malleable, was it, as, as canvas <laughs> no. was. It was quite a strange <laughs> experience for you, wasn't it? Well, I would call it a luxury experience. I remember the, the guy who organised it rang me up and he was just like, oh, have you ever worked with leather? And I was like, no, I, I, I can't imagine spending that much money on leather and then burning holes in it. I, I, I couldn't really justify doing that. And he was like, right, well, we're going to give you lots of leather and we'd like you to do just that. So I was like, okay. So I had these absolutely beautiful sheets of leather. And I mean, for me, they felt gorgeous and they smelled, you know, the smell of leather. It was just wonderful all through my house so I, I canvassed them up and then I thought right I'm gonna to have to start burning first of all I tried to just burn through like I would with the canvas and of course that was no go that I was there for a good minute and nothing was happening so eventually I had to cut some holes into the actual canvas to make some rough shapes and then burn into that and then the whole smell transformed completely because we got beautiful smell of leather then instantly turned into kind of the smell of burning hair it was quite disgusting but I, I enjoy that because I think it's the full sensory experience of the creation of my work. Um, I carried on and did the stitching. And I wasn't going to use the varnish, which I usually use on all of my pieces, because I thought, well, oh, it's just such lovely leather. But the crew pretty much said, you've just got to do what you would usually do. So I did it, and I was so pleased with the end result. And due to the varnishing of the flat sheets of leather, I then discovered that I could make these um, kind of flower formations. So with a lot of the scrap leather, I've made kind of a whole field of flowers. So they're completely hard leather flowers coated in varnish, which I think they're very good. What an incredible opportunity. It just sounds absolutely beautiful. How can people actually see your work? Because I know that you've you've had exhibitions, but do you have a website? Yep, I do. It's uh, www. Uh, sightlessvisionart.co.uk Well do go on and take a look because Claire's work is absolutely stunning it really is. Now Claire I can't let you go before talking about this documentary that you've just taken part in and it's called Things Not To Say To A Blind Person it's a BBC Three documentary and I think as blind people you know we all kind of wonder at times you know when people ask us silly questions or what we perceive to be silly you know where on earth did that come from? For my work, I do a lot of uh, media, so local, regional news and stuff. And the amount of times I have reporters 
kind of saying, well, you don't look blind. And it's like, well, what, what do I say to that? Um, thank <laughs> exactly. you. It's like if you, you know, if you meet someone with mental health problems, you don't say, well, you don't look mad. You know, it's only that one. So what do you expect me to look like? And uh, I had one person trying to film a close-up of my eyes because <laughs> they wanted to show everyone that my eyes looked normal, which, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> we actually got a bit involved with that and uh, gave them a good telling off. Um, you know, you have people not saying, see you later, or saying, see you later, and then going, oh, sorry. <laughs> well, it's just human language. Well, exactly. <laughs> you know, I still talk about, you know, I have very highbrow television viewing habits, I have to say. I'm, I'm mad about the soaps. So, um, you know, people laugh at me because of that. But also, mm. you know, when I say, oh, I was watching Coronation Street last night or I was watching Emmerdale, EastEnders, they'll say to me, but you mean you were listening? And I say, no, <laughs> I, was, I was watching it. I might not have been able to see it physically, but I saw it all happening in my head. So for me, it is like viewing it. No, and, it is, and I always think it's things like Game of Thrones. I know exactly what's going on. My two fully sighted parents haven't got a clue who's who, and they can watch it. <laughs> so, you know, I think just because we don't necessarily see all the details, we do pay attention to all the details. Definitely. Well, you know, I'm very grateful for you joining me today to tell us all about your beautiful artwork and your uh, journey with sight loss. So thank you so much for joining me today, Claire, and the very best of luck in the future. Well, thank you ever so much for having me. For more downloads like these, visit rnibconnectradio.org.uk slash podcasts.